Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Postcards to the Universe with Melissa Caprio. Do you believe in magic? What if you were told that all you had to do was get a little creative and work a magic spell to bring anything you can imagine into your life? Here on Postcards to the Universe, we will share manifesting, tips, postcards, creativity, abundance, and prosperity. Here is your host, Melissa Caprio. Hello and welcome to Postcards to the Universe with Melissa, creating the life you crave. How is everyone this week? I hope you guys are doing well. Thank you for being here with me today. I have a really exciting show and my guest author, Valerie Gilpier, she'll be joining us in just a few minutes. So if you missed last week's show, I had the amazing author and spiritual teacher, Don Miguel Ruiz on as my guest. And it was really exciting for me because I have been a huge fan of his work since his book, The Four Agreements, came out over 20 years ago. It was a wonderful interview, and you can listen to it here on the Ohm Times Radio in the archives. If you search my show, Postcards to the Universe, you can find it there. Or you can go to my website, postcardstotheuniverse.com, in the podcast section, and it is listed there. I highly recommend it. It was so good. Um, It was so great having him on as my guest. He's a wonderful, charming, and humble person, and I just adore him and his work. So please listen. I would love that if you guys would do that. As you know, each week, if you've been listening to me long enough, I share my Magic Monday message postcard. And this week, the affirmation is the gift of betrayal. Now, oh my God, this postcard, when I photographed it, it came out so gorgeous. I love this one. Well, I do. I love them all, really. Um, If you have lived long enough, you have definitely faced some kind of betrayal, whether it be from a romantic partner or a spouse, a friend or a so-called friend, family member or colleague. And being betrayed is very painful, especially when it comes from someone who you love and who is close to you. And that postcard that was created that I photographed for this week's message was about a romantic relationship betrayal. And A person who is supposed to love and take care of you has done the complete opposite and your heart broken. Now, with the affirmation, the gift of betrayal, that probably or could sound wrong. That that doesn't make sense, right? Like, what do you mean the gift of betrayal? How can there be a gift, especially if you have been so deeply hurt? Uh, Many times uh, we are very unconscious in our relationships, especially our romantic relationships, And the fear of being alone takes precedence over who we may choose as our partners. And those of us who have been betrayed 
we'll see many red flags before the ultimate betrayal, but we choose to ignore them. I also know that we play out a lot of our early childhood dramas or traumas, especially in romantic relationships. So when I say there's a gift in the betrayal, I mean it forces us to look deep inside to see where we are wounded so we can heal. And many of us will seek help when we're in that much emotional pain that we would normally just mask over. And we can't do that any longer. And many of us will go inside and do some deep healing. And that shifts and it changes us. And it allows us to find our own inner strength that we may not have known that we had. For me personally... It has given me an inner confidence and self-worth that I didn't have before I was badly betrayed. So that is what I mean when I say there is a gift in the betrayal. As painful as it may be, if you could allow yourself the time and space to do the healing, you will find the gift. If, like many people, you run and look for another replacement and distraction, I think you are doing yourself a great disservice and you are very likely to bleed all over your next relationship. So if you want to see my Magic Monday message postcards, please go to any of my social media platforms. And if you're interested in doing inner work exercises and reading people's incredible journeys of transformation and manifesting and inspiration, please check out my book, Postcards to the Universe, Harness the Universe's Power and Manifest Your Dreams, which you can find on Barnes & Noble or Amazon or your favorite online bookstore. Um, You can follow me on social media and join my Facebook group, Postcards of Love, where we share inspirational messages and photographs and stories and art. And you can now find me on YouTube, where I started adding these podcasts, this radio show that I create to a podcast, and you can subscribe, so please do that. Next week, I have author and grieving expert Emily Thoreau Threat with her book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief, a comprehensive guide to reclaiming and cultivating joy and carrying on in the face of loss. And she's going to help provide guidance for navigating the downs and ups of the grieving process. All right. So I'm really excited to talk with my guest today. Valerie Gilpier is a former attorney in Los Angeles who has been practicing law for 40 years. Emily Grodin is a poet, mother and daughter, co-authors of I Have Been Buried Under Years of Dust, a memoir of autism and hope. Their book just released last week on April 6th. Born with nonverbal autism, Emily's only means of communicating were limited to one-word answers and physical gestures, which often left her frustrated, angry, and misunderstood. A disastrous intercontinental flight from Ireland to Los Angeles when Emily was 25 triggered a miraculous communication breakthrough. With the help of a trained specialist and a technique called facilitated communication, Emily typed out the following phrase on an iPad. I have been buried under years of dust, and now I have so much to say. That sentence opened up the floodgates of communication, and while Emily is still nonverbal, she hasn't stopped talking. Now at age 29, Emily is an avid writer of amazing poetry, maintains a 4.0 in all of her college courses, and hopes to become an advocate for the countless other people like her who can't communicate in the traditional sense, but have so much to offer. And you can find more information at her website, ValerieGilpier.com, V-A-L-E-R-I-E. 
G-I-L-P-E-E-R.com and where you can also purchase her book. Welcome, Valerie. Thanks so much for being here with me today. Hello, and thank you for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> How are you and Emily doing? We're doing great today. We're doing oh, great. good. Good. Okay, so we're going to get into your experience, but just really quickly, I was looking up statistics before you came on to the show, and it said in 2020, the CDC reported that approximately 1 in 54 children in the U.S. are diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, or ASD, and that's 1 in 34 boys and 1 in 144 girls. It seems boys are four times more likely to be diagnosed with autism than girls. And I just wanted to get your your perspective. Do you have any theories on why you think autism is on such a rise? Well, I think that, um, you know, after Emily was born, I mean, the statistics also started to increase somewhat in terms of the numbers. Um, I Mm -hmm. think that there's been more diagnosis of autism. I think they've broadened the um, Mm. the, uh, definition, if you will, and so more people are being viewed as having autism. I do think that girls are not diagnosed as frequently because girls often don't show indicators until much later. Hmm. Um, there's, there's, less, there's less tendency of pedantic type of behavior, of, of speech, um, mm. of repetitive actions in girls than there is in boys at a younger age. And so sometimes those are put mm. off until, until they're a lot older. So I think that girls are probably underdiagnosed. Um, hmm. And I can't say that boys are overdiagnosed, but I, I, did, I do know that over the course of my practice, we certainly saw... Um, individuals with more comorbidity um, mm. also being diagnosed with autism, meaning that they would have a, a little bit of a disability that appears like autistic uh, autism, mm-hmm. um, some, some typical characteristics, but also having a lot of rigidity. Um, some children also would be you know, considered to be um, uh, have ADD or ADHD. Attentional, mm-hmm. attentional issues often go with the diagnosis as well. So I think that it's a changing type of a diagnosis, and I think an expanding diagnosis, um, but it, certainly the numbers have gone considerably up since, mm-hmm. since that was diagnosed in, in 1993. Yeah, yeah. Do you think um, environmental has anything to do with it? Do you think it's that? Because I know they say, and you talk about this in your book, because I just finished your book, by the way, last night, which was excellent. Thank you. So I was really excited Thank to read you. it. <laughs> Um, you said that you were an older, you were older when you were pregnant and they do link that, that older parents seem to have a higher, um, um, you know, we'll have, there's like a higher chance in older parents. Well, I I don't think they really found, you know, exactly what the, Mm -hmm. that there's one, there's one cause that there's one Mm -hmm. link. I mean, it it seems like to be sort of the lottery in in reverse if they, as they used to say, it's like a genetic situation and a genetic link possibly, and also possibly environmental or a collision of the two. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, a a predisposition, you know, it, it doesn't seem to really be that anyone has completely identified that there's one gene. I mean, I know there's been a lot of work on identifying a gene that might cause autism. Sure. And if you identify a gene, you might be able to, um, you know, mitigate against the, the outcome or the severity uh, because you'd be able to, to treat it perhaps. But right now I don't think that's been identified. And I don't think there's a one, you know, one answer as to what causes autism or, you know, why, yeah. why it, it results. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that. I am, um, just for those of you guys who are listening, I have a nephew who's on the autistic spectrum and he's going to be seven in May and he's nonverbal. Like Emily, and um, so let's talk about Emily. Like, was your, your pregnancy, was that normal with her? Did you have a normal pregnancy? Any issues? Yes, my, my, my pregnancy was completely normal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it was, it, there was really nothing. The only difference in the pregnancy was really the delivery, which is actually very interesting about. A lot. She was a forceps delivery, so that mm-hmm. was a little bit diff- different. And and mm-hmm. and I've learned over the years that some of children, other children who's uh, who, who uh, have autism, or also had the forceps issue. So there's like you know they, they sort of pull them out from the birth canal, mm-hmm. you know, with the forceps. And I don't know, but you know, but the thing is so strange is that there was nothing after Emily was born up until up until mm-hmm. eighteen months that, mm-hmm. you know, indicated that anything was amiss, a nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was, as I report in the book, I mean, she was a gorgeous, gorgeous child, gorgeous baby, um, still is a beautiful young adult, but she was just absolutely beautiful, and she was so alert. I mean, mm-hmm. she was so alert and so engaging. I mean, she could stare down, as an infant, <laughs> she could stare down somebody in an elevator and get them to grin at her by just by boring in, you know, and staring <laughs> at them, you know, yeah. get the patient of people across the tea room in Marshall Fields in Chicago. I mean, it was it was quite amazing. I mean, she was this engaging, wonderful human being who uh, yeah. lit up the room just by her mere presence. So really, there was nothing in the immediate, you know, aftermath of her birth that would ever have suggested that this was the road that we would be taking. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, there was just nothing there. You know, I mean, the light yeah. started to dim at 18 months. And you know, no one's really sure why that happens either at 18 months. And it doesn't always happen at 18 months. A lot of kids are diagnosed much, much later on. Um, mm-hmm. are, I mean, we had an early diagnosis because we were so confused, honestly, by what was going on. You know, we, we, we knew who she was when she was born. We knew who she was for the first 18 months. We started to see some subtle changes around the 15th, 16th month. You know, mm-hmm. so by the time her second birthday, we were pretty much convinced something was not happening the way that things were not happening the way they should. But a lot of people don't. A lot of kids don't get that diagnosis until they're five, six, or even older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting because Enzo is a similar experience. He was, he was very like. Uh, it was around two, I think, that he was diagnosed, and he was starting to talk. And I think you mentioned that, didn't you, that Emily was starting to talk, saying those words at one, one and a half, like that you expect them to say, like he would, and then it just started to stop. Yeah, then it just started to stop. But he's always given amazing eye contact. That has never stopped. And laughing at you and engaging with you. It's just the talking stopped. And just for anybody listening, if you are, if your child or somebody you know is autistic, every, every person with autism is different. Every person is different. So there's not the same. Yeah, it's not the same kind of just because you, you know, Valerie and Emily have this experience or my, you know, I have an experience with my nephew. That doesn't mean your child is going to have the same experiences. And so you started seeing that she was different at between 18 months and and two two years. So what were you noticing? Well, the, you know, she would... um, she wasn't participating in activities mm-hmm. that other children were participating. She also mm-hmm. wasn't really, she wasn't really cuddling the way that I, uh, she wasn't, she wasn't de- as dependent on me as she mm-hmm. probably should have been. You know, she mm-hmm. was not, it wasn't that she was resisting me, but she wasn't necessarily, you know, seeking me out completely and clutching me, you know, being really dependent the way mm-hmm. a young child is. 
So that was sort of an early, earliest sign. I mean, there was a there was a streak even as when she went to some mommy and me class much early on. And of course, I didn't know this was not a good thing because there was a mm-hmm. psychologist running the mommy and me class who said to me, mm-hmm. you know, she's going to be president of the United States. She's so independent. Well, you know, mm-hmm. she was she was she was eight months old, and no child mm-hmm. should have been that independent. I mean, the other children were coming in wrapped around like boas around their mother's necks, you know, and. Sure. and, and was off and running and that was a sign and it was a sign that again a psychologist nobody really pointed out to me and I knew nothing about children I mean I I had not taken a child development class I'd never had a younger sibling I had never even babysat Uh, and here I was 40 years old with almost no exposure to children and I had this child that I really had no really no knowledge of what the developmental signs should be so yeah. I didn't think much of it. I just thought, well, she's just one of those rare and exceptional children, you know. I mean, right. <laughs> yeah, right. she was rare and exceptional. <laughs> she is. She <laughs> is. It just didn't, and not the way you had thought, right? Isn't that that's the case? It's the case, exactly. right? She exactly. is. It's just different. Yeah, and exactly. you do... <laughs> You you talk a lot about the book in the book about your experiences with the experts and a lot of your frustration because, you know, these people are professionals or they, they're telling you what to do or what not to do or do this with Emily and don't do this with Emily. And that was a lot of frustration. So we're going to get into a little bit more of that and about you and your husband um, and, and how smart Emily is because we know she's exceptionally smart. So if you, I just want to take our break here before we delve into that. So let's okay. take our break and we'll be back in two minutes and we're going to talk more with Valerie and Emily. Stay tuned. Conscious Media for Conscious Minds. Ohm Times. Host your show on IOM FM, the radio network of Ohm Times Media, one of the more recognized brand names in the conscious community and is backed by the extensive marketing reach of Ohm Times. Hosting a show on IOM-FM immediately connects you with our extensive, dedicated community. Hi, I'm Melissa Caprio from Postcards to the Universe, creating the life you crave. Do you believe in magic? What if I told you all you had to do was get a little creative and work a dream spell to bring anything you can imagine into your life? Well, guess what? I've got the spell for you. Postcards to the Universe, a global movement for manifestation, is a casting magical tool for you to use whenever you want. How does living in passion sound to you? Join me in my movement where you get to create in the magical playground. Let's think outside the box and do some playful conjuring. By casting out our desires with a manifesting postcard, we explore our hearts and allow the alchemy of our dreams to appear. And don't forget to tune in each week here on Ohm Times Radio with my show, Postcards to the Universe, Creating the Life You Crave at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. I share tips on creativity, abundance, and prosperity, and you will be introduced to the coolest guests, trailblazers, mystics, and creatives who enrich our lives. My name is Victor Furman. Some call me The Voice. I've always been fascinated with human nature, spirituality, science, and the crossroads at which they meet. Join me Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Ohm Times Radio, and we'll explore these topics and so much more on Destination Unlimited. (music) 
The rainbow is God's promise of hope for you and me. And though the clouds hang heavy and the sun we cannot see, we know above the dark clouds that fill the stormy sky, hope's rainbow will come shining through when the clouds have drifted by. Teresa Capriel is the president and founder of Rainbow Guardian, Inc., a nonprofit 501c3 serving the intellectually challenged slash developmentally disabled, including autism. Teresa started the foundation in 1995 so she could help make a better life for her intellectually challenged daughter. Her dream is that the Rainbow Guardian will provide the necessary tools and education to help the public understand the special needs population because it's often discarded in mainstream society. To find out more or make a donation in support, please go to www.rainbowguardian.org. Rainbow Guardian's special mission is to see these unique people live a happy, full life and have a future of liberty and equality. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back. So I have author Valerie Gilpair here with me today, and she co-wrote the book with her daughter, Emily Grodin, I Have Been Buried Under Years of Dust, a memoir of autism and hope. Okay, so I um, just wanted to talk to you more about um, Emily uh, and when she was young, when she was first diagnosed, how were you and your husband? Were you guys in denial? Was it like, there's no way I can see my, my child is really smart? Like, how, how was that experience for you? Um, so we were, we were in shock. I wouldn't say we were in denial. Um, okay. What happened is that, you know, we, we, we got the diagnosis and then, you know, mm. we, we kind of suspected it because as I said in the book, you know, the, yeah. the, the doctor asked me what my worst fear was and that's what I said, that it was autism, mm. that she had autism. Mm. So I was sort of beginning to think that something might be down that road um, that might be where we were going. Um, but I was, I was pretty much well, I must say, I was pretty much paralyzed because we were told to uh, seek a different opinion, and we would have sought a different opinion anyway, and that's why we went to see another specialist over at UCLA who really, this was really her field. The woman mm-hmm. who, who originally diagnosed us was a, just a, she, she was a developmental pediatrician. She wasn't really a specialist in autism. She mm-hmm. was a developmental pediatrician. And so we did want to c- further confirm it. So... 
my husband actually is the one who took her to the second appointment with the specialist over at UCLA. And, um, uh, yeah, so I couldn't go. You know, I just couldn't go. Yeah. Uh, because I was so upset. You know, I was so upset mm-hmm. because I, 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 you know, was pulling up, you know, videos and seeing things and new things. I mean, I knew very little about autism, but what I did know was from college. And, of course, mm-hmm. these were, I, yeah, I remember from psychology classes in college, it was, they would have very brief snippets of, educating you on autism, what it was. I mean, but I do remember some very old newsreels of individuals kind of in a corner and rocking back and forth. And that was my image of a person with autism, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, somebody with, with their hands over their head, you know, almost in the, well, here in, in Los Angeles and in California, we do earthquake drills. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the concept of duck and cover, we did the drills when I was in back east, you know, for potential, you know, bombs. You know, you right. duck and cover. You, you, you pull your knees in and then you... You know, mm-hmm. you, you go into a corner and you, but these kids, these people were rocking back and forth. And that was my image. So mm-hmm. you can imagine if I was given a diagnosis and that was my image of what it was going to look like for my daughter, how terrifying that was. Especially sure. because I had this gorgeous child that was staring mm-hmm. at me with these big brown eyes. And I couldn't mm-hmm. imagine that that was her future. You know, right. and it really got worse. It, it got really much worse after that before it got better because then I was bombarded with other videos and information which showed me with girls who could barely comb their hair and who could mm-hmm. barely do anything. And that's, you know, fortunately for us, that isn't what, what happened uh, for Emily. But, it, 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 but, you know, Emily developed, I think, hugely because of the unbelievable effort that we put into kind of right. putting on its head a lot of things that we were told about her. Um, or, yeah, know, because it, you were advocating, you and your husband, her, it, it was a full-time job for, for, for both of you her whole life. And she's 29 well, today? Just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, she was a full-time <laughs> job, but we also had full-time jobs. You know, right, right, right. Of course, said, yeah. <laughs> you know, we had, we, had, we had double the activity. But, I mean, there were so many things. I mean, she was, we were told that, I mean, she had, she had what they call hypotonia, which is low muscle tone. You know, my niece, my nephew it. has that, and so has that. Okay, Same so, thing. So how did, but I cured that. How did I cure that? I'll tell you how I cured that. I would come home from work every day at early from work. I would put my, 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 have my suit on. I'd put mm-hmm. my tennis shoes on. And I whisk her off to the local park, and I would get her on the jungle gym. And mm-hmm. I would push her little butt up that, that jungle gym and keep doing it and getting her to use her muscles. You know, mm-hmm. I enrolled her in gymnastics classes. I, we walked with her incessantly. And this child started walking from the day that she could walk. And she has right. not stopped walking since. You know, I mean, the development of those muscles was huge because the, deve- yes. because the motor, motor control is a very important thing. I mean, that whole mm-hmm. sensory thing that I talked about, the whole developmental thing I talk about in the book and the sensory, the central nervous system and the sensory uh, information. But, but the motor control Motor, mm-hmm. This being a, probably a motor disorder is really the issue. So it was extremely important that we do all those things. And we did all those things. So it was also schlepping her, you know, taking her to, you know, all these different therapies from one end of mm-hmm. town to the other. Sure. You know, it was just a, it was a constant, 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 you know, effort to get her what she needed and to really defy the expectations for her, which I was mm-hmm. determined to do because, and mm-hmm. I kept going back. I, I say this to people all the time. I it was really about who I saw in that is so early on. I mean, I, I think mm-hmm. no one knows a child like their mother does yes. or a parent does. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you feel it in your gut, that this, there's this something there and, you know, it's just not coming out. You really have to run with that. You really do. Mm-hmm. And we yes. Did. And 
That's great. And I believe you because I, I see a similar story in my family. So how what you, you talk about your husband and both of you knew that she was very intelligent despite not being able to talk with you. Like how did you like what what made you think that how what gave you those insights? Well, you could teach her some, to do something, and she would have it as her own immediately. I mean, teach her one time how to wash a dish. Teach her one time, you know, when she's little, when she's two, to put her dirty clothes into a laundry basket. You teach her once, once, you know, show wow. her, Emily, this is what you do. You know, and then there was the nonverbal problem solving. I mean, she always managed to figure out how, how to get what she wanted or, or needed, um, and she would figure things out. I mean, she would just figure it out. Um, there was that. I mean, there was funny things she did, which I, I don't think I kept this in the book. I, I'm not sure this little story is in the book, but when she was um, really small, we took a minute to golfing. And, mm-hmm. you know, my husband, was, my husband was very patiently showing her how to miniature golf. You know, you put the mm-hmm. ball down, you just hit it to the thing. So after a few holes, Emily looks at us, and she just picks up the ball and walks it into the hole, puts it into the hole. Right. I, <laughs> Yeah. What is this? What is this idiotic game that you're having me play? Right, the right. Is just, the object <laughs> is to put the ball into the hole. So <laughs> why right. are we wasting our time with a club? You know. <laughs> so you knew she was fully understanding everything, right? Okay, yeah. yeah. She the object of a game. I mean, if you think about it, miniature golf is pretty silly. You know, it is. <laughs> <laughs> right. And she figured out. She was like, way too silly for me. Anyway, that was something that Tom, my husband and I, Tom, still laugh about. Just cracks us up. But she also did other things, you know, too. I mean, I, you know, it's just kind of endless. I mean, I once saw her walk into a bakery, um, and she had money in her purse. when she was a little bit older, and she had money in her purse. And I was standing. I see her walk in, and she was walking ahead mm-hmm. of me in a shopping center. She goes into the bakery, and I said, okay, I'm going to watch this one because, you know, this will, be, mm-hmm. this will be very interesting to see what happens. Right. She points points out what she wants to the woman behind the counter, and then the woman tells her something, and I'm going to just put some money on the counter. And the woman, I guess, understood that she wasn't going to say anything, so she gave her what Emily wanted, and she gave her back some change, and and Emily bought a cookie. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, so she understands non-verbally that she's doing that on her own, which is so, so incredible. And you talk about um, um, the the biggest challenge with Emily is she has behaviors. She had behaviors, and she had meltdowns. And I know, you know, I know what meltdowns are and how stressful those are. And it was a very traumatic meltdown when she was 25 on an airplane of course, of all places, right? Like it couldn't have happened at home. It had to happen on an airplane. (laughs) That forced her to realize in her own mind, which I thought was extremely interesting in her own mind, that she needed to do something to change the way she could communicate with the outside world. She had to take control and do it, which I thought was super interesting. So how was dealing with, um, you know, having in the behaviors for you and your husband? And I imagine that put quite a strain on your, your marriage. Well, it did. And we talk about that because there was a Mm -hmm. a somewhat bit of a split in terms of how to deal with those behaviors at different times of the day. Um, which I detail, and it was difficult. I mean, it was it was relentless, and I think it was really born out of frustration. I mean, people will tell you that behaviors are a way of communicating, and mm-hmm. it was an increased sign that she was just very frustrated. But there was nothing we could, I mean, we had tried everything by that point, and we mm-hmm. really didn't know what was going on with her, how we could change it. And, of course, 
you know, the reality of it was is that she did have an awful lot that she wanted to share. And I think that it really truly was that she had reached that boiling over point where she just said to herself, as I think many of us get to the point where we just say, okay, Mm -hmm. I've got to change this right now. You know, we Mm -hmm. all do things that we probably would rather that we didn't do. And it's really incumbent upon us to say, I'm the only one who can make change for myself. And mm-hmm. don't you think so? Don't you think that's true? I mean, that, that we yes, really... Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Not yes. Not for anybody, but for her, mm-hmm. he was smart enough to realize that this was no way for her to live anymore. You know, mm-hmm. she, she, you know, this was no way to live. And so that really, I think, really brought on the change. And it, it took an awfully long time, let's say. Yeah. I would have thought that she would have come to that a lot earlier, given her level of, of, of intelligence. But for whatever reason, you know, she reached mm-hmm. her own breaking point. Um, uh-huh. and then she was ready to, to start communicating with us and boy, did she. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's really, as she talks about this, because the way the book is laid out, um, Valerie has her perspective as the mother and then you have Emily's voice as the daughter and talking from her perspective and what she was thinking and what, what she was going through. And she talks about how it was really difficult for her to control her body when she was having a meltdown. It's not like, you know... And, and this is what I want people to understand because you're, we're seeing it more and more. You're seeing kids and you're seeing adults with autism. And for us to be more compassionate, we need to know that something is going on, you know, and let's not, you know, make judgments. And what we're seeing, and it's not, they can't control it. Because believe me, I, having a sister who's developmentally disabled, who's not on the spectrum, she couldn't control it when she was a kid. And believe me, I'm sure she wishes she could have. And as Emily does too, you know. So, uh, you know, I, I'm glad you talk about that. And I'm glad you mentioned that in the book because I think it's important for us to see this and to know this. You know, it's like knowledge is power, right? You know, when we're ignorant, we don't know. So we need to have stories like yours so that so that we can be informed. We can be informed. And to understand, it, and to understand this is a different thing from a tantrum because a tantrum is a different thing. You know, a yes. meltdown is something which is mm-hmm. beyond the control. And a tantrum is usually purpose-driven. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's yes. a reason. And, and you don't have a reason. I mean, asking people... Why is she doing, asking a person of a, of a child who's having a meltdown, why are they doing that? There is no answer. It's, you know, what's the mm-hmm. answer? The child is overwhelmed by something. The child right. or the individual is overwhelmed by something. It could be sensory. It could be lighting. Mm-hmm. It could be the noises. It could be, um, which Emily is very sensitive to noise still. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even though we did so much, I mean, to overcome that. I mean, believe me, I, I don't think that there is a public restroom in Los Angeles County that I didn't go to with her and flush the toilet um, mm. to overcome the, the flushing sensation, the noises mm. of flushing. If your if your um, nephew has that, but I mean, it was a lot of kids mm. are very sensitive to that, you know. So you have to yeah. desensitize a lot of the sensory overload that they experience because some things are essential. You know, if you're out in public, yeah. you use a restroom, you know, and you mm-hmm. you know they need to use a restroom and they need to get used. She needed to get used to the flushing of the toilet. You know, yeah. So there were so many things. I mean, there. You know, it's so it's so crazy to recall all of the things that we had overcome. It was endless, just endless. I mean, there the behaviors and the speech and mm-hmm. the sensory yeah. overload and you know unpredictable responses to things. I mean, these mm-hmm. are the types of things that you know you're dealing with as a parent of a child, a young child with autism. Some of it, mm-hmm. some of it kind of goes away as they age, but a lot of mm-hmm. it does stay. 
Yeah, no, Enzo doesn't have that. Uh, I don't know if it's because we're a big Italian family and we're super loud all the time. Like he probably heard it when my sister was pregnant. <laughs> I don't know. That's he's definitely like sensory stuff. He gets super excited. He's sensory stimulation, but but sound, a loud sound doesn't doesn't bother him, which is good, which is good. And and um, you didn't really. You had a lot of. Um, um, challenges with the school system for Emily. So you want to share a little bit about your experience, about how it was like for her with the school system out there in California? Well, you know, the school system across the country is um, pretty much regulated by federal law and comparable mm-hmm. state law. And here in California, you know, what was going on early on with her was that there was a tendency to want to keep her into classes that I didn't feel were appropriate for her. Mm-hmm. Um, some instances, some of the teachers at her schools didn't think were appropriate for her. So I, I would say that pretty much the most of her high school or her up to her elementary and middle school uh, was spent uh, fighting them to get not only the ser- related services that she needed, mm-hmm. which which occupational therapy and what we thought was the speech therapy, which she had endlessly, uh, but also mm-hmm. behavioral companionship. Um, I was always concerned that somebody would take advantage of her, especially mm-hmm. as she got in, in a high school environment. But it was really trying to keep her in the most inclusive setting possible. Um, early on, I learned that the special day class that they had wanted to put her in was one that I didn't want her in. It was too mm-hmm. isolating. There were not good role models for her. Um, I felt that she was so observant that she learned from people around her and that, you know, she was emulating behaviors of, individ- of the other kids, which were even worse than her behaviors, which I didn't mm-hmm. need at home. And this is not something that I'm alone in believing. A lot of parents feel that their kids do absorb the behaviors of other kids when they're put into, into certain kinds of classes. The other problem was, was the way that the education was delivered. It was usually a bunch of random sheets that she'd be given of um, different on different days, um, mm-hmm. educational sheets, work, or worksheets, I guess you would call them. And they were unrelated, and they didn't have any kind of format to them. I mean, there wasn't a beginning, a middle, and an end. And, you know, I believe in a, sort of a linear you know, delivery of education where – you know, one thing flows into the other, and, and that wasn't going on either. So it was a very, it was very, um, you know, kind of patchwork. And so I right. didn't like that. So I did, I did spend a lot of, excuse me? No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll let oh, you finish your thought. Go ahead. Yes. So I did, um, I did, you know, I did fight almost on a yearly basis with the school district. And then, you know, even when the school district had agreed to things, there were also the fights with the principals and uh, at various schools way as well. So wow. it was, it was it was challenging. I mean, it wasn't really until she was well into high school and settled in the second high school that she went to that things started to calm down. I think they started, I think they finally took me serious. serious. Good. Well, that's what I want to talk about because she did really well in high school, and I wanted to ask how she was accomplishing that. So we're going to take our second break right now, and we'll, we'll be back in two minutes. And then I want to talk about when Emily started talking to you. Okay. Stay tuned, guys. We'll be back in two minutes. The Real Conscious Connection. Ohm Times Radio. IOM FM. Ohm Times Magazine is one of the leading online content providers of positivity, wellness, and personal empowerment. A philanthropic organization, their net proceeds are funneled to support worldwide charity initiatives via Humanity Healing International. Through their commitment to creating community and providing conscious content, they aspire to uplift humanity on a global scale. Ohm Times. Co-creating a more conscious lifestyle. 
Imagine yourself being transported to India, to the banks of the Ganga, and an ashram in Rishikesh. Visualize that you are welcome to satsang with an American sannyasi who shares the wisdom of her guru. Your visualization has manifested. Join Satvi Bhagawati Saraswati for inspiration and transformation every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on Om Times Radio. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi. I'm Melissa Caprio from Postcards to the Universe, creating the life you crave. Do you believe in magic? What if I told you all you had to do was get a little creative and work a dream spell to bring anything you can imagine into your life? Well, guess what? I've got the spell for you. Postcards to the Universe, a global movement for manifestation, is a casting magical tool for you to use whenever you want. How does living in passion sound to you? Join me in my movement where you get to create in the magical playground. Let's think outside the box and do some playful conjuring. By casting out our desires with a manifesting postcard, we explore our hearts and allow the alchemy of our dreams to appear. And don't forget to tune in each week here on Om Times Radio with my show, Postcards to the Universe, Creating the Life You Crave at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. I share tips on creativity, abundance, and prosperity, and you will be introduced to the coolest guests, trailblazers, mystics, and creatives who enrich our lives. Coping 19, brought to you by CDC and the Ad Council. If you're feeling increasingly lonely right now, you're not alone. It's totally normal. Even though we may not be able to get together in person, connecting virtually with friends and family still gives you a chance to interact with people and may help raise your spirits. Join a virtual book club, set up group text chats, or online video coffee breaks with coworkers. Find more self-care and coping tips at coping-19.org. Welcome back. Okay, so I want to jump right in. So Emily did really, really well in high school, and she also is doing, is she still in college, or did she graduate by now? No, she's in college. Um, she's still in college, and she's yeah. doing exceptionally well in college courses, too. So she has an aide with her who helps her, and um, how, you know, I, I'm curious before the facilitated communication, which is what allowed her to talk, how in high school was she doing so well? Like, how did she, did the teachers just know, okay, Emily, everything Emily has to turn in is, like, through, through, because um, she's not speaking. So how was she, like, turning in her work and doing all that kind well, of stuff? Well, there were kind of alternative methods. I mean, in her English mm-hmm. class, for instance, the English mm-hmm. class that she was in, there were, um, there was just a lot of, um, she did. She did actually write things down in English, and she that was okay. I think where she got the foundation of her ability to communicate so beautifully. When she did start typing, was because that teacher really sort of ground into them the mm-hmm. uh, punctuation and, and grammar and all kinds of things. She was a remarkable teacher, 
But the other things were she would be asked questions, you know, there, she would, there would be multiple choice uh, questions mm-hmm. given. Um, things might be read to her and she would answer them, you know, um, she would answer them by multiple choice or she could write a yes or no question. It would be something like that. So, but it wasn't, it just wasn't in this um, incredibly fluid and expressionful mm-hmm. way that she does now. So she didn't really expound on her answers. They would be more limited answers. And that's pretty much, I mean, that was also, you know, how we knew that she understood what we were reading to her uh, because, mm-hmm. you know, we would ask her questions. But, but with the home, I mean, Emily even has said that what she, everything she learned, she learned from us, from me and Tom. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, the fact is, is that, that we, you know, we were obviously very interested in, in educating her. And we spent a lot of time reading with her because she loved it so much. But I remember mm-hmm. reading to her and stopping a paragraph often. I mean, we would do this almost every night. We would stop and, and say, you know, describe, you know, describe the person or describe what you just re- read about. And she would give us maybe one word answers. She would describe mm-hmm. a tree or she'd describe a person or she'd describe an activity, which clearly re- made us understand that she was understanding what was being said to her. And the interesting thing is, is that I don't think anyone ever thought that her receptive language was not intact. I mean, she was clearly mm-hmm. understanding everything that mm-hmm. was being said to her. She just didn't have the, the capacity because of her um, of her or of her language disability to express it, so right. that part was intact. I mean, that part of her brain was working. It was the synapses in her brain that were not allowing her to express herself, and that was right. really the, that was really the issue. And that's the frustration, really, because you know, language spoken language is a lot more economical than it than is written language. I mean, it's a lot easier to express yourself verbally typically than it is mm. to write something down. Um, and now I think that's still something she would prefer to do is to speak because it would be a lot faster. And it is right. something which is certainly recognized by a lot by, by most people. I mean, she doesn't <laughs> right. really have, when she's in college, she doesn't have an aide. It's a communication partner. It's just a person okay. who um, is, you know, it's just there to really help her in class. And the interesting thing is, is that when she was in workshop classes, um, she would fully participate. The teacher would recognize that she was using a device to communicate. So at her creative writing classes at Valley College here in uh, the San Fernando Valley, which is outside of Los Angeles uh, City, um, you know, the teachers would just wait for her to give an answer. You know, they'd ask her a question, and she would type out her answer. It was a fantastic way of doing things. Mm-hmm. And uh, now during the, down there during the pandemic, all of her classes online, I and mean, she's completed, if you will believe this, she's completed seven online classes uh, in, in one year. <laughs> Good for her. Better than I yeah. could do. Seriously. No, and I'm not, I'm not lying. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, no, that's incredible. Online, seven online so, academic classes. So in addition to writing, to, to finishing the book. So yeah, so it's, it's, um, you know, she, she's just an incredible student with an incredible thirst for knowledge. Um, high yeah. school was successful in many ways because of the social aspect of it for her. Mm-hmm. You know, the kids were, the girls in particular are particularly receptive, but honestly, I have to tell you, we would walk across that campus on back to school night, and all mm-hmm. these people would be saying hello to her, and none of them we knew. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's that's good. No, I love that. I love that the kids were embracing her. That that makes me happy. Yeah, Yeah. that really does make me happy. And how was it? Okay, so she had her meltdown. And then shortly after that, she got the facilitated communication device and she started typing to you with the help of her um, of her communication. Mm -hmm. I guess what is she a communication therapist? Partner, partner. partner. Okay. so so how did you guys feel when you first heard that? Well, we were 
again shocked. <laughs> you know, I mean, when the incident when the incident happened, it was like right. you know we were just we were just sort of rubbing the sand out of our eyes from this experience and waking up and we were exhausted and it was the day after the return trip from Ireland and mm-hmm. you know it happened so quickly it was certainly unexpected. You know, we just thought that she would just be in a really foul mood because it was such a foul experience coming back. Sure, but she wasn't and she was ready to go and it was like you know there, and we and we met it with a lot of disbelief in all honesty. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like this can't be happening. And I knew about facilitated communication. I mean, I knew about this whole process. I mean, not only had I seen it, as I share in the book, early on, I mean, very early on in 19, about 1994, 1995, but I also represented children in my practice, my law practice, and I obtained those services for them. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I didn't feel like I needed to believe in it to get those services for them. It was enough for me that their parents wanted it for them and felt that they were successful with it. So I had known about it, and it never even occurred to me, honestly, that Emily would ever be able to do it, uh, although I did give it a try because as a last resort, as you can mm-hmm. tell from reading the book. So, yeah. um, so we were ecstatic. You know, we were ecstatic. We were floored. We were you know, suspicious. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you talk about we were, that. You talk about that in the book yeah, that you were suspicious. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We were, we were, you know, it was just like, can this, can this be really happening? Cause it really, I have to tell you, it really fell, fell into the category of a total miracle. Mm-hmm. Oh, I believe miracle. you. Yeah. I mm-hmm. can see that. I can totally see that. I understand that. And you said, cause you and I talked a little bit briefly yesterday, I asked you about her meltdowns and you're saying now that she can communicate, she's not having them anymore because Mm-mm. the frustration isn't there. And so is that why some of her meltdowns were so bad is her frustration um, because of what other people, cause she couldn't get out what she was thinking and feeling. I think so. I mean, I, mm-hmm. it's hard, you know, it's hard to know. I mean, we haven't, she hasn't really addressed that directly mm-hmm. in, in, in question, whether that was the reason for it. But mm-hmm. I, I'm going to say that I probably think it was just based on mm-hmm. the current evidence of, you know, how things are going now. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that I think that she had she had to be frustrated. I mean, yeah. you know, imagine not being able to people's kind of. But I think she was also she knew that people were ignoring her. She could mm-hmm. see. She's smart enough to see how people were responding to her. And, you know, right. when we all get upset if people don't respond to us the way that we would like them to respond to us. And she's no different. You know, she just couldn't say, hey, why are you acting that way towards me? All she could do was get upset about it instead of confronting somebody about it, you know, and, mm. and, and trying, to, trying to understand it. So yeah. she, was left, she was left holding the bag, if you will. She was left holding with all that frustration of knowing that somebody didn't like her or wasn't responding well to her, but not really understanding why necessarily. Um, yeah. I think yeah. And she voices and she voices that it, that people thought she was stupid and that bothered her. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which Definitely. I totally understand. That would bother yeah. me too. So I totally get that. Yeah. And especially as intelligent as she is, you know, um, does she want to, does she want to go to graduate school after college? What does she want to do after, well, after she graduates? Yeah, I think she's just plugging away now at these colleges, at these mm-hmm. right, right now. You know, I think she's working on a journalism, you know, degree. Oh, good for her. I think that I think that she will continue with her. She writes not only po- poems but also essays. I think she mm. will continue that line, and perhaps she will eventually look into the possibility of journalism as a maybe a career option for her. Um, I think that you know, but you know what it is about Emily is that she just loves to learn. I mean, I think she's one of those mm-hmm. people who could be. Who could actually be a student forever? 
I mean, yeah. some of us wanted to put an end to it at some point, but yeah, she just, and I think, you know, in some large part, it's, it's, it's probably because she didn't learn as much as she could have probably uh, mm-hmm. in high school. Long, you know, I mean, she learned a lot, but I think she's still hungry for information. I mean, she wants to learn about all kinds of things. I mean, she, you know, she's writing it. She just wrote a paper on climate change. She's interested in the homeless. Wow. She's interested in 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 so many things about the world. I mean, she's interested in politics. She's interested. There isn't anything that she's not interested in, except shopping. She does not shop. (laughs) (laughs) She's not a daughter. Oh, that's she's smart. So when you're very intelligent, you need a lot of information. You know, it kind of you do. You need that. It's interesting because. you know, the way her brain works, which obviously is different from uh, someone who's not on the spectrum's brain works, you know, she probably would approach problem solving from a whole different perspective that maybe you or I wouldn't grasp. You know, I find that so interesting, you know, because of the way their brains work, it's just different than the way ours do. That's really what it is. Yeah. Well, she's a very, um, it's really interesting. I mean, she has definitely a style in her thinking. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely Right, and I mean, I think that's really reflected in her her writing. I mean, you, you mm. if you if you read a lot of her work, you start to see a real syncopation that is very similar, a way of expressing that is very similar, and it's it's truly Emily. She's she's got her her way, her own style, mm-hmm. uh, and it's also really interesting to see her communicate with her professors. I mean, she's if, I don't know where she learned this from, but she she signs off on on her emails to her professors with warmly and kindly and. You know, all these mm-hmm. incredible mm-hmm. words that you, know, you learn along the way. And I have no idea she, where she got them from. Um, but she is very cordial in her mm-hmm. approach to things. No matter what she really might think of a professor or of a person, she's very cordial, very gentle, and very professional, I must say. Um, which has really been, you know, a mark of her writing really from the beginning, which has mm-hmm. really kind of really astonished me. Because she, you know, she, it just sort of, because this writing kind of came out of nowhere, I Mm -hmm. thought. Yeah, her poems are, her poems are amazing. Her poems are wonderful. And she has a very strong point of view. Like, you know, it's Emily's voice. It's very different than yours. The way the, you know, everything about it and the way she writes, it's been consistent. Like I was looking at everything that she was writing and it was very consistent throughout the whole, the book from her perspective, her point of view, her voice. It's definitely her voice. And I believe that wholeheartedly when I read it. Like I didn't, it didn't, I didn't question it at all. Mm-hmm. No, that's her. That's my girl. That's my girl. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, what are you and Emily? What's your goal for the book? Like you wrote, you decided to write the book together. Um, was it your idea or was it her idea? Well, initially, the book. Um, what I, what I really wanted to do initially was I just wanted to get her writing out, just to demonstrate mm-hmm. to the world person could do, what a person can do, if they're offered the right means of communication. Um, when it appeared that that story was, that that probably was not the way to go to make the story, we decided that we would make it more interesting by actually talking about how we got from the point of for not communicating to where we are now. And thus the, the you know, integrating our experience of raising her with, uh, you know, and then, you know, putting her words woven throughout it. So that's kind of how it came about, honestly, um, was but the backstory of her raising was just sort of the back, you know, uh-huh. sort of the background yeah. noise. 
it really wasn't the point of the book. The point of the book was really to communicate the strength and capability of individuals with nonverbal autism uh, mm-hmm. and, what is, and what is possible. And that, that's mm-hmm. where the hope part comes in, is that this is, this is a possibility, and this is something that, you know, may not be for everyone, but it's, if, it's, if it works for one other person, I think we have, you know, mm-hmm. we have made our And that's really all we really care about. Um, that's all I ever cared about. I mean, I also... You know, you know. Honestly, I wanted I wanted the world to shine a light on my daughter because I loved her so much, and mm-hmm. I felt like she had been so disregarded for so many years by mm-hmm. so many people in so many arenas. And um, it was kind of like, hey, look at her now. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I mean, I, I, I guess I wanted to brag. You know, I wanted to say, look who she mm-hmm. was, and and look how I believed in her when you didn't. So yeah, it was it was, it was a love letter of for, of sorts, and um, it still is. You know, because that's all I really care about is that uh, people understand who she is and um, and who she always has been, quite frankly. Mm. I love that. Well, there's nobody like a mother who advocates for their kid. I have a mother who does that, um, for, and she did it for my sister, and she right. wanted to do it her way so well, she got it, became a provider and opened up her own group home. So that <laughs> just tells you. <laughs> it's amazing, and, and I love the way that you are shining a light on um, Emily, and Emily is shining a light on herself about really what's going yeah. on because, you know, we don't always really know. And the fact that she decides she wants to write and she wants to share her journey with us, I think is incredible. Um, anything you want to leave us with? We're like, we have like a minute left before we sign off because this has been a great interview and I'm really honored that you said yes to come on my show. Thank you. Well, I really appreciate the fact that you wanted to have us on the show. I mean, it, it is such an, it's so important for people to really understand, you know, about differences in people, you know, I mean, people were all sort of, as I, as I said at the beginning of the pandemic, we're all in this together, but we really are in this together, you know, and, uh-huh. and I hope people will take a lot away from this and understanding about the differences that are among people, especially people on the spectrum. It's a wide spectrum of individuals. Uh, many have verbal capabilities, but, and have other presentations that are different than Emily and some are like Emily, but you know, no matter who or what or how they present, you know, they needed they need to be considered as, you know, active and participant, wonderful parts of our society. Absolutely. And I thank you so very much. Check out I Have Been Buried Under Years of Dust, a memoir of hope, of autism and hope. Thank you guys so much for listening to Postcards to the Universe with Melissa, creating the life you crave, wishing everyone a wonderful week filled with joy, abundance and love. Peace.